0: Hello, this is Toward a More Perfect Union, both government-wise and society-wise. This is Frank Falby, your host, and joining us today is Natalie Linos. Hi, Frank. Uh, Representative Jeff Roy from Good morning, Midland, Frank.
1: Franklin.
2: Good morning, Frank. Good to be Good here. Good morning.
0: Uh, PJ. Hey uh, there. Uh, our Our... Uh, Able and uh, tremendous uh, executive director of Franklin Cable and Franklin Radio.
3: And I will claim to be this morning in Fine Fettle. Fine Fettle. Fettle. It's, fettle, it's, fettle was my word of the day. Well, you look good in Fettle. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
0: this, this is uh, the day after uh, the uh, reading of the electoral votes in the House of Representatives, and in the uh, break-in of the Capitol. Uh, We're recording at uh, 9 o'clock on January 7th. Let me uh, phrase this, that it seems to me that there is a great divide in the United States. Uh, People hold uh, opposite opinions, uh, particularly about the election, Uh, People believe that it was fair. Uh, The attorney general said it was fair. The National Security Council said it was fair. Um, The courts have denied it, and, and people believe that side. But there is still a majority, not a majority, but a significant minority of people that believe hearsay, that believe that the hearsay of individuals that were either at the polling Uh, places or that analyze the election afterwards and that the president continues to say he won by a landslide is the truth. And what are the fundamental issues that are dividing America? In other words, how how can we hold divergent points of view uh, throughout the country about the Constitution, and how can we have protest and people say let's be reasonable in our speech in decorum when neither side that doesn't work because there comes a point in which there is always some destruction or there is always some violence going on so where where is the issues uh, that we need as americans to face and resolve and overcome. And I'll leave it to a, an open discussion.
2: Well, that's a real broad uh, opening. Let me take a crack at it if I can. Um, um, one thing, and I think I've mentioned this on um, other shows that we've done together, it's, it's always puzzled me that um, how uh, people develop a hatred for people based upon ideas. Um, I came to this business uh, after a, a lengthy history, uh, 28 years as a trial lawyer. And I do recall getting in significant battles with my opposing counsel in cases. And you know we would uh, bicker and fight over issues that we would disagree with. We were engaged in an act of a search for the truth and we'd fight vigorously and advocate for our particular parties in the case. But once the proceeding was done, a deposition or a court hearing, I always have the memory of walking out of that courtroom and saying, so where do you want to go to lunch with my opposing counsel? We We could disagree without being disagreeable. And we could disagree without hating one another. And it was uh, a, a cordial professional relationship. And uh, what I've seen evolve over the past, uh, you know, 10 to 20 years is a break from that. And that uh, we've continued to drift apart as a people um, with the tribal mentality. And that's, I think, where we are today. We've created this uh for lack of a better word, we've created this monster that where we view each other as our enemy, as opposed to fellow Americans. And I sincerely hope that what we witnessed yesterday uh, is an awakening and a turning point and a shift to uh, brother meets brother. And and I'll say one last story, which uh, brings us home to me. I was uh, going, I went to the polls on December 4th to cast my ballot in the uh, December 4th, the, the local election. Um, and there was a woman standing there with, uh, with a sign, um, you know, uh, clearly still a Trump supporter and uh, holding a sign saying, stop the steal and other, um, you know, other materials supporting that frame of mind. And you know, um, she knew who I was. I knew who she was. And you know, we kind of had a little bit of back and forth. And uh, at one point in the conversation, I said, "Look, I said you're standing out here in bitter cold. It's snowing heavily. I said I I don't agree with what you're saying, but I give you a lot of credit for uh, standing to that conviction and being out here in this weather. And uh, you know." At that point, we began to engage in a civilized conversation. Um, We're not going to agree on those points, but we can still talk to one another. And and I would just love to see that uh, level of engagement return to political spectrum. And Natalia, I'm going to hand it over to you to uh, tell us, you you know, what do you think of what's going on here?
1: So, Jeff, your story, I mean, I like that you were able to connect with this woman, but it scares me. It scares me that she was willing to stand in the snow and hold a sign because she truly believed it. And I think that's the bottom line. Like, it's not that people are trying to twist information, they truly believe this misinformation. And that's worrisome to me. It's worrisome to me that they truly believe it and believe that it's their duty to, you know, shed the light. It it, it feels a little bit like, you know, religious missionaries who are sort of out there to to spread the truth. And that is worrisome. And, you know, of course, as an epidemiologist, we have seen that with COVID, with misinformation around how it's spread, misinformation around the vaccine. And, you know, there was one study that said that our president is the number one source of misinformation on COVID. And I will put it on him too, the number one source of misinformation on this election. He knows that it hasn't You know, he knows that these fraud claims are not true. He is creating a narrative and trying to become, you know, mainstream. And he is responsible for what happened yesterday. But it's not a one-time occurrence. It wasn't, you know, yesterday, many people felt surprised. But I wasn't surprised. I was waiting for, you know, what is going to happen. I'm worried about the next two weeks, you know, until January 20th. Like, he has been saying loud and clear, I am not going to accept this, you know, transfer of power, and uh, we should have heard him, and he is telling his people. And and the the sad part is that his people actually believe him. I don't think he believes it, but somehow he has managed to convince people in such a religious way. Uh, And Pete, I think you were going to give us a bit of a timeline, and I'd love to sort of hear what you think.
3: Well, basically, uh, again, yesterday being January the 6th, Uh, which will certainly be a day that finds its way into the history books, given all that happened. Um, Natalia, as you point out, it was the culmination of something. It was the culmination of years, years, his entire term, of making claims, bombastic claims. And by the way, bombast tends to do an awful lot better sometimes than reason uh, because of its outrageousness. Yesterday morning at the Save America rally that was uh, conducted by Trump and others, uh, Giuliani took to the stage first with the theme Macho Man uh, and advocated that what he called for, if we're wrong, we'll all be made fools. If we're right, a lot of them will go to jail. Let's have a trial by combat. So that was the opener. Um, Trump then encouraged the crowd, and uh, directly so, Now, mind you, we're talking about 25,000 people. We're going to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. We're going to the Capitol. We're going to try to give the Republicans the kind of pride and boldness they need to take back our country. So with that, in an obtuse, indirect way, he is inciting action. He is inciting a form that could easily rise to insurrection. And, and and we that, know that th- these are not the first statements he's made. With right. res- this has been building for weeks,
2: and and building for years, I would say. And exactly, he's been surrounded by folks um, who have enabled this uh, to the point where it's just mustered up this uh, this monstrous activity. And and I'll I'm going to quote from the Globe's editorial. Uh, that was in today's paper, and it says, Why did you form a monster so hideous that even you turned away from me in disgust? And they were quoting from uh, Dr. Victor Frankenstein in Mary Shovel, uh, Mary Shelley's novel. Yeah. And this is what we have seen building and being created, and what, uh, what a shame that this is the uh, legacy, that this... Uh, administration is going to be uh, left with, and um, just one other thing. Going back to um, the woman in the snow uh, mm. on December fourth, um, the thing, uh, and, and I and I truly do believe that she believes what she believes, and she believes it strongly and firmly. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, it's my duty as her representative to develop a better understanding and a better dialogue so that uh, I'm not convinced that I'm going to be able to persuade her. that uh, I, don't, I, don't, I, I shouldn't even judge to say that her view is wrong, but um, I don't know that she'll ever believe or think the way that I do, but I have to understand that these are folks that I represent along with those who agree with me. Uh, I don't know that anybody agrees with me on 10 out of 10 issues, but uh, those who agree with me on 8 out of 10. Um, but you know, it's, it's something that has is, is long been lacking is this sense of empathy, and it works both ways. Um, I have to understand how she thinks, how she believes, and conversely, she needs to understand how I think and how I believe And I think that's something that's universal for all of our friends and neighbors and countrymen that we have to continue to foster that sense of deep understanding of one another.
1: Absolutely, Jeff. Um, I think empathy, listening is critical at this time. The challenge here is when you have differing facts, The, the baseline. If you don't agree on the baseline, it's very difficult to have a conversation. And so, that's the challenge. That's the challenge. And as a scientist, as an epidemiologist, you know we want people to know the facts and you should be able to tell this woman you are wrong. I know you're being respectful by, by telling her no, but somehow that there was not election fraud, that this was not stolen from her. If she is unable to see that, it is so hard to have those conversations. But you are absolutely right that our conversations have become polarized. There is hatred, there is distrust, and that is hurting us all, whatever side we're on. So I'm, I'm really glad that you, as a representative, is willing and wants to be that person who listens deeply.
3: Also, I would add uh, to your comment, Jeff, about the woman and her really strong beliefs uh, in what Trump was saying, et cetera. This, this is about information and how it flows to us, and also how it is that we choose to educate ourselves, giving me the perfect opportunity to do this wonderful lateral arabesque to Dr. Michael Walker-Jones with respect to how it is that we have an obligation to educate ourselves with respect to the facts and the matters.
4: I You know, I'm reminded, uh, Jeff, based on your comment, of the... Uh, response that John McCain gave to the woman who had indicated that uh, Barack Obama uh, didn't love this country and that he was a Muslim, etc. And his his response as he walked toward the woman was, I'm sorry, ma'am, you're wrong. And I think it's important, as Natalia has just said, that when a politician in particular is encountering someone from the public, that you must, you must acknowledge the truth rather than the expedient piece or the political piece of what's in your best interest as an individual. Uh, Facts are important and Mm. as a society, it's important for us to make sure that we acknowledge at all times uh, what we in academia call uh, the intellectual responsibility that we all have to one another. Uh, and it's important, too, to recognize in context that uh, what happened yesterday, uh, I know many of us believe that, wow, this is the first time this has ever happened, and, you know, uh, et cetera. And, uh, or in context of the 1812, uh, incident when there was uh, people who broke into the Capitol and then tried to burn it down. But there have been some other incidences. Some of the media have reported that. And I, and again, the, uh, the facts are important.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: this is not the first time that people have broken into uh, the Capitol building, even from 1812. If, if you recall back in the 1960s or 1950s, there were two Puerto Rican, uh, nationalist who broke in and killed, or actually they didn't kill, but they uh, but they shot five House of Representative uh, members in chambers wow. when they were up in the gallery. Um, so uh, and then don't forget to the uh, uh, the uh, Capitol police uh, uh, policeman who was killed. Uh, when a gunman broke through the uh, uh, broke through the uh, their line when they were trying to uh, take people through the metal detectors, and he had a gun, and he killed two of the policemen, and one, a black officer, was the first black uh, individual to lie in state in the rotunda, as just a regular individual. So. It's not the first time, but it is the first massive takeover and invasion and insurgency of the Capitol building, which I think makes it significant. Mm. Uh, But again, my last point is the same as my first. The truth is important and how we present it and then getting people the facts are important. And I think all of us have a responsibility to that. And I've seen some of the media do that. Uh, and some of the politicians, but Jeff, uh, you know, I applaud you at least for listening and for trying to help correct someone uh,
2: in there. You know, uh, I couldn't agree more that, that we, have to, we have to continue to search for the truth, and facts are certainly important. And, you know, I saw that those issues uh, throughout my years in, in the trial context. It always amazed me when you, would, you could show a video of an event or a photograph of an event that clearly depicted facts, indisputable facts, but people could use their whatever particular set of blinders they wear, see the same image or the same video that I'm seeing and you're seeing, and see something else. And it, it was amazing to me to see people get on a stand, take an oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and see something else. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's something about the human nature that has astounded me uh, in all of my 59 years. And Part of it, I probably didn't think about this much as an infant. But look, it's it's troubling, Uh, and, you know, I still firmly believe that I need to, um, you know, listen to people, understand where they're coming from, and try to see how they arrived at whatever truth they believe, try to persuade them. Uh, I'll tell you, that particular woman I'm talking about, I don't think she has ever voted for me and will ever vote for me. As long as I run for an office, there's a truth that i've I've come to understand, but uh, it's still my duty and my obligation to try to understand where she's coming from and how we can work together to make things better for everyone.
3: Part of it, you know you touched on a big one, Jeff, a really big one in that. You, you say you, you put up a picture of what you think is a factual picture, a factual video, etc. Truth be told, pictures and videos are also edited. Edited to reflect a viewpoint. And this is, in fact, quite dangerous. And in and, and the editing of that viewpoint, they are playing on people's selective perceptions, already embedded, already latent, ready to bring forth and fortify a belief system that is probably already somewhat formative. A good example of that in your profession, the very first and quite famous video in the legal profession, Melvin Belli, A Day in the Life. This was a video that was produced by Melvin Belli to show the tragic day in the life of the plaintiff who was damaged, his life handicapped in a wheelchair, how it was he was constrained from normal living, etc. And it wasn't necessarily a factual video. It was an emotional telling of the tale. Even if there was no voiceover narrative or whatnot, the point is, people see it, and it's something that speaks more to the heart than the head. And that is where Trump's magic lies. That is where his strength lies. He incites passion. Once you have passion, you could set it off in a direction. But what becomes difficult after that is redirection. You've launched it. You had better know where you're going because after that it's really hard to control.
1: I mean I think to the point around you know information and how we pick our information, behavioral economists are thinking a lot about that, about how you basically only search for information and you, that agrees with your viewpoints. Mm -hmm. Um, but they are using techniques around, for example, you know, there's all these experiments that say, if you tell your peers, you say, you know, 30% of your neighbors do X, you know, pay their, or 80%, you can change social norms and somehow, um, that also seems a little insidious, sort of, you know, using behavioral economics and insights to to change people's perspectives. But maybe, you know, we need to take communication seriously, that people want to know that they're not alone, and they want to feel that they're part of a group. And here, Pete, maybe you can reflect on media and social media. It feels that we consume very different information, and therefore, you believe what everybody in your network believes because you're all consuming the same set of information. And that is troubling to me. Um, But I don't know how we can break that down. I don't know enough about sort of media, both traditional and social media um, markets, and how polarized they are. But I would imagine they're just as polarized as our political system.
2: And before you start, Pete, if you, in those comments, if you could hopefully address the algorithms like uh, Facebook uh, uses to filter and deliver particular viewpoints and news to you as a reader. So uh, if you could incorporate that in your remarks, I'd I'd love to hear what you think on that. Wow. Well, first of all- uh, And you have the rest of the show.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that really is another show unto itself, but you know, I, I will attempt one of the most difficult challenges that always face me, to be brief. Um,
2: <laughs> uh, Spoken from your, the lips of your mother.
3: Right. Um, that, th- this goes back to something I mentioned in a previous show with respect to the FCC, the fairness doctrine, which no longer applies and exists. While TV stations, networks, even us, we try to apply the fairness doctrine for equal points of view There's no longer a legal obligation to do that under the FCC. Uh, The FCC originally was chartered to manage the airwaves as a national resource, which we all own as the public, and that made sense. I think that the FCC's obligation goes further. Just as we have an interstate commerce commission, the FCC should be regarded as an interstate communications commission. Airwaves travel over state lines. That's why it's a federal issue. Well, guess what? So does the internet. And I think that communications in general, in light of the First Amendment, which I strongly support, there needs to be some reasoned federal regulation of interstate federal level communications, which wraps around the internet and enables these so-called social media platforms who currently run free reign and absolve themselves of all responsibility, that there needs to be some method of curation, which is fair, balanced and minimizes any restrictions on free speech. That's Fox TV. (laughs) The right. Uh, Oh, it's OAN. Yeah. OAN, one America and so on. But, uh, the issue with social media is that, yes, it it amplifies the silo that we choose to live in and the algorithms that drive it further magnify, expand that silo. Because now that the social media uh, platforms know where you are, where you wish to be, when you declare your preference through your clicks, they're tracking that. And they are making sure that for a profit you stay with them the more time you are on screen whether you're doom scrolling or simply reinforcing your belief systems the more you continue to do that the more money they make because the more ads they get to run by you and every single time a pop-up ad a video a sidebar ad whatever goes rolling by that's money in their pocket and they want to keep you on their screen next to their ads with their content that lines
4: up with your belief system and fortifies it? You know, we have an experiment in academia, uh, in our rhetoric and also our communications courses, where we will give a set of facts, uh, normally mask through a story, uh, to a classroom of students. Uh, And I've conducted this experiment at uh, undergraduate as well as graduate and out in the public as well. And it ceases to amaze me how uh, both of your points, that is, you you know, when you give a set of facts to, uh, especially when it's oral, when you give a set of facts to a mixed audience, how that audience will, through their own filter, Uh, come to a conclusion based on what you said to them and it will be scattered. And normally the experiment is one and involving some computation, some mathematical, very simple kinds of stuff. Um, But it is important too, I think, in terms of the social media for us to recognize that as Peter said, this is happening all the time uh, and people gravitate not just based on the ads but based on again whatever my particular point of view happens to be uh i think this is fairly dangerous if unregulated which much of social media at this point is and i couldn't agree more that when we look at these platforms these are not just platforms they're basically radio and television stations exactly They are. And and newspapers. And newspapers. Exactly, Jeff. They they are part of the fourth estate. Yes, they they are. are. And in that they have a responsibility. I mean, I was uh, started out uh, as a high school journalist where I learned all of the journalistic rules. And none of those rules apply to social media. Uh, Basically, you can lie. You can't. You don't have to have sources. You don't have to verify those sources. And it's important for us to realize that many of our uh, fellow citizens are caught up in this. Uh, And I think yesterday was a demonstration of what can happen when we have a mass sort of of, uh, mob mentality that's created and how easy it gets manipulated, especially when you have the president of the United States and many of his followers who are perpetrating that illusion through lies, through manipulation, uh, and in many
1: instances
4: through edited versions of, uh, of reality. So how do you stop that? I, you know, the only, the only thing that I can say as an educator is I still have faith in our education system. With this one caveat that we have to start to cr- emphasize more of critical thinking skills, analytical skills in our students, and not just hold them accountable for a paper and pencil test, mm-hmm. which again is one dimensional. Uh, as an educator for all of my career, I have advocated for multi-dimensional types of assessments of students, and yet Jeff, uh, you know the cheapest form of that <laughs> is something like the MCAS, and we have yet to uh, expand that. Uh, even though we're we're starting, I uh, I do know that some of our uh, some of our students who, uh, are, for example, are going to uh, 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 the vocational schools are given multi-dimensional types of assessments. And that's important. And I think it's important that we expand those types of assessments into our our other uh, public schools
2: and universities as well. Well, you'll be happy to know that in your community, Franklin, the um, school committee just approved the notion of the portrait of a graduate and what information any graduate from the Franklin Public School System should possess before graduating from high school. And that's tending towards that direction of multiple assessments about uh, what's the value of the education and what currency do you have as a result of that education. So, I really think they're on to something. And and glad that they're uh, taking a step in that direction. Uh, in terms of the um, the media piece, uh, media literacy was a big part of the um, the um, civics legislation that we passed uh, in the last session. So that's something that's uh, coming to the forefront. And I'm happy to see folks like uh, Twitter who uh, are adding um you know commentary or warnings about particular tweets and in the case of the president yesterday not only did they issue a warning about his tweet but they closed his account for 12 hours mm-hmm. and they did not allow people to uh retweet or share the video that uh, the preposterous video that uh, he prepared and displayed so um That's some measure of accountability and responsibility. But I think uh, the government needs to put a lot more pressure on these media empires who are using uh, airwaves and uh, transmission vehicles that are really the property of the people. And we need to uh, make sure that they use them responsibly. So I'm glad to see that some of these steps are finally being taken, um, and that'll hopefully uh, bring this under control. Because you can't live in a universe where all you hear and see and feel are those things that support, you know, uh, conspiracy theories. Yeah, you know, to get a truly enlightened view of the world. You need to uh, be a critical thinker, and you can't be a critical thinker unless you uh, are exposed to critical thinking. And uh, you know that's uh, that's the journey that we're on in this space because newspapers, um, the print publication, um, has been dying for a long period of time. It's it's on the verge of uh, of a complete uh, death, but we have to be careful with what replaces. That written word, uh, and you know it looks like it's going to be the internet. and uh, you know we need to allow people to know what is a responsible source and what's a not uh, an irresponsible source.
1: And I think so here that- what we haven't explicitly talked about is speed you know, the real-time information and how do you critically assess that? So, for example, yesterday I was retweeting some people and somebody, there was a journalist inside who tweeted that there had been a a shot and nobody else was saying it. And and I retweeted it and then I kept on struggling in my head, like, what if it's not real? Like, am I spreading this information? You know, like that sort of speed where something can go viral really fast. And, you know, 12 hours doesn't sound like a lot of time to shut down President Trump. But in 12 hours, you can do so much damage. And that is something new. And we need to understand the responsibility. You know, I I did retweet, um, because it felt credible. Everything else that journalist had said so far sounded credible, but it did, you know, I don't think I'm the typical person who would, you know, stop and try and find confirming evidence somewhere else, but something about the speed um, is troubling to me. And it makes it difficult even for critical thinkers to engage because we want this information. We want this real time knowledge and yet um, a viral video that is not true uh, can cause damage in seconds, whereas we couldn't do that through print media or more traditional media.
0: Let me uh, interject for a a moment. Uh, A Trump uh, supporter uh, talked to me yesterday, and and let me share uh, that point of view that was expressed, is why are you surprised that the people are running through the halls of Congress and having this... Uh, rally in this protest when all summer long, uh, the Black Lives matters protest were started peacefully but ended in such violence, ended in burning. They were expressing to me that no fires were set in the House of Representatives, no statues were were turned over. Yes, maybe there there were some offices uh, that were ransacked, and and it was a terrible uh, thing to happen. But why are you surprised? And four years ago, after Trump was elected, I was talking with an individual here in Franklin and expressing that Trump would never, ever leave office voluntarily if he lost the election. And I I was considered. totally out of it. Uh, I could tell by the expressions that I didn't know what I was talking about. And yet for four years, you could see this coming, or at least I'm not surprised. I, I fully expected, except I fully expected that Trump would national uh, bring the army in uh, to support his position. Well, that hasn't happened yet, but But I think it's only because probably the defense secretary and the army has said no. So the question is, we have, uh, is this the road we're going to be going down for the next four years is violence and protests that are legitimate, but that then turns into violence are certain small segments of the right wing actually carrying out armed violence.
2: I have to say, Frank, that I was indeed surprised when I saw people breaking windows, breaking into offices, occupying the seat where Vice President Pence had sat. Um, I did see uh, somebody carrying away, it wasn't a statue, but it was uh, some sort of a podium, um, it, it was shocking to me and it was surprising to me to see people storming a building that, you know, I, I and I know a lot of people uh, hold with some reverence. Um, it's a, a sanctuary, it's a, a place where people uh, come together, our, our United States House of Representatives is a, a a body of 435 people who are the closest to the people and and our our representatives in government and on the other side is the is the Senate and when I visit these places I still get that sense of awe and um, you know uh, excitement that we have built uh, a system and a nation that has the ability for self-government. And it was, you know, it was troubling for me. It was insulting for me. It was shocking for me to watch people with such utter lack of respect for these temples. Um, You know, I I, I know I'm probably getting a, a little over the top, but, you know, I believe firmly in our system of government and the democracy that we have set up. And I just am troubled to see an angry mob try to destroy that. On the other hand, that mob was brought under control relatively quickly. And our government bodies got back to work by 8 p.m. on the same day. And they completed the job that they set out to do earlier in that afternoon. And to me, that was the most comforting and uh, uplifting news of the day. Um, And to me, I I have to believe that January 6th will be a turning point because people saw visceral images of how ugly it can be when we truly uh, hate one another. And uh, you know, um, I, I'll leave it at that. But yeah, I, I have to say I was surprised and shocked at what I had seen. I I, I I knew this was coming, but it still shocked me.
1: I'm
4: going to
0: take this as a
4: teachable moment. Not that there will be any answers at the end of sort of this little soliloquy, but it's important that, Frank, that we not fall into one of the rhetorical traps of, well, They did it, uh, and they did it worse than I did, so I'm okay because I didn't do something as bad as they did, but even though what I did was bad. That's the logic when people say, well, look at the Black Lives Matter and the stuff that they burned down. Context here is important. Um, The important part is that whenever we do comparisons, we need to go into the contrast as well as the context. The context yesterday was not the same as a peaceful protest where something goes awry with some individuals uh, that in many instances, especially during the Black Lives Matter, those particular kinds of uh, break-ins and destruction and vandalism uh, came after the main body of the protest, and it's in many instances after the protests were done. Not all of them, but some of them did occur after the protest was actually done, and by and were done by people who intentionally tried to stir up, uh, you, you know, the uh, uh, the violence, if you will. The other piece of context here is that this was it started out what appeared to be as a peaceful protest. And then moved into something else. And there was vandalism, and there was uh, both confrontation of authority, uh, but also the threat of violence. And many of those officers uh, and some of the military folks who were brought in later and stuff were injured. Mm -hmm. This could have escalated into a real uh, fire, if you will. Uh, not in the sense of a uh, of, of blaze, but weapons were found, uh, to my understanding. There were some uh, weapons, and, and to my understanding, there were some incendiaries, uh, some makeshift kinds of bombs. It's important for us to realize that any kind of peaceful protest is the right of all of our citizens, and I strongly applaud and support that. But the violence, once it spills over into the violence, I think that's where we have to have a bright line that, no, that is not acceptable. Uh, and that's violence on either party's part. Because uh, I'm referring back to last summer when the president wanted to have his, uh, uh, his uh, signature moment of holding up the Bible, uh, and they used tear gas on a friendly, uh, peaceful protest group, uh, in order to clear them from the street, so that the president and his cohort and stuff could walk across the street and do this photo op. <clears throat> so I, you know, look, none of this, I think, has. Uh, oh, and one last point too, Jeff, which is, the building was cleared, and one of the things too, I hope we don't, we don't lose sight of is that the building was not cleared by someone with a bullhorn telling people, oh, please leave the building. They were forcibly taken out of that building. And some of them at the threat uh, of uh, of violence at gunpoint. That's how some of those people were were taken out. And there were arrests. Not enough arrests in my mind, but there were some arrests. I'm sure well, there'll be more. <clears throat> I hope that there will be more. Yep. Uh, uh, and it's important, again, for us to have context that, yes, our lawmakers went back into that building once it had been cleaned up some, all right, but not totally, uh, and went back to work. And I applaud them for that. But at the same time, too, as citizens, let's not lose sight of the fact that this was not, that building was not cleared in a very peaceful Uh, you know, look, please go home, disperse kind of manner. Uh, The FBI, the Secret Service, and local police cleared that building office by office, space by space at gunpoint. And that's the other part, I guess, that for me is a teachable moment. We have to acknowledge that we as a society, we're getting overly uh, violent, I believe, I think there is an overproliferation of weapons on all sides, uh, and when I say on all sides, I think that in many instances, our authorities are prone to use uh, their weapons in situations that don't necessarily uh, need it. Uh, and then our citizenry, we are armed uh, to the teeth because of the interpretation of the Second Amendment. Uh, and, in many instances, our state legislatures um, will allow people to carry those weapons openly in places where I don't think it's necessarily needed, nor is it uh, uh,
2: uh, nor is it helpful. You know there's an image from that uh, scene yesterday that just reverberates in my mind, and uh, it's a it's a picture of a gentleman. Uh, climbing from the Senate gallery, lowering himself onto the floor. He's hanging by one arm, but behind his arm is the phrase annuit coeptis, which um, is on the back of the dollar bill um, under the seeing eye of providence. And this, the phrase is providence uh, um, uh, favors our undertakings. And I saw that image of this man hanging, trying to climb down onto the Senate floor. And I say, sir, Providence does not favor what you're doing in this photograph. And that will ever be burned and etched in my memory uh, from from yesterday.
3: I took that same thing. I saw that photograph and and so wow, what a juxtaposition.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I,
4: you know, I also had an image uh, that, was burned in my mind yesterday. It was one where it was in the House of Representatives, and they were doing a shot from one of the galleries um, to the floor. Uh, and actually, it was a representative. You could tell. Uh, you could see the representative uh, as one of the people who were hiding behind the rail uh, at the gallery, and I. Kept thinking to myself, why are they continuing to show this shot when it exposes? And she's one who has had death threats. Um, I forget her name. She's from uh, she's from Minnesota. uh, And one that Trump has been criticizing uh, and was one of the people he told to go back to your country. And uh, even though she's a U.S. born citizen. And why is it that that image kept hitting me was because here it is, one of our representatives is cowering in the face of this violence, uh, in the face of this takeover, when many of the Congress people come to think of being in that building as the safest place they could ever be. And that image juxtaposed to, no, it's not the safest place you could ever be uh, as a representative. And you are an elected official and you're hiding here without any kind of support. Uh, and I found that extremely distasteful, and that image will be with me and stuff for uh, uh, basically forever.
1: I completely agree, Michael. And I think for me, destruction of property is not the end of the world. I mean, of course, you know, it's not great, but like you burned down a target. I I grew up in Greece. So there's a lot of protests. There's a lot of destruction of property. and And that's, horrific in some ways, but the attack on our democracy, the attack on our institution, and Jeff, you sort of captured it, this sort of, this is not a target that they were attacking, it was the Capitol. And this intimidation, this intentional intimidation of our politicians, of our electoral process is different. It's not the same as a Black Lives Matter movement that may, you know, burn down a car or even an anti-police, um, you know, protest that they may throw, like, you know, vandalize, say, a a police car. Yes, vandalism is bad. But there's something very different around attacking and intimidating our politicians and our elections and undermining our democracy. I think we have to say that loud and clear that yesterday's uh, mob attack was not the same. These are very different issues and should hurt us and should uh, result in more punitive measures and uh, for these people because it 's very very, very different when you attack property versus when you attack our, our democracy
2: you know I, I was thinking as I was watching this now I was sworn in uh, at eleven thirty a m yesterday morning for the one hundred and ninety second meeting of the uh, the Great general court and couldn't help but think I'm here doing a constitutional job and function representing people. And I will not be intimidated by this behavior. But it also reminded me, because when I go up on the rostrum and I and I I see folks there, there's a there's a phone underneath the speaker's desk, which is Uh, a direct dial into the state police in case things get under control in that building. And I see that. And I look at that and I say, I just hope nobody ever has to pick up that phone to stop anarchy in this building. And we have, we have handled some extremely difficult and controversial issues over the years and we have seen tempers flare in that building but i've never seen it reach the level that i witnessed yesterday and i hope i never do because i i revere the job that i do i love uh, the work that i do and uh, to to see it trampled on as it was yesterday was was devastating and uh, i god i hope that's a turning point And I hope people see the ugliness and rally back towards preserving, preserving what we have. Um, we have a a great democracy and it's, it's ours if as Benjamin Franklin said, it's ours, if we can keep it.
3: I think that one of the other things, perhaps it's a sidebar issue, but one that I think we should focus on, uh, I, th- I think it's reasonable to classify the people who were there yesterday uh, and people who participated in other movements, Black Lives Matter, et cetera, into perhaps three understandings, categories, call it what you will, but understandings is good. There are the people there who are uh, participating in legitimate, passionate protest. You see them holding up a sign, Black Lives Matter. Say her name, Breonna Taylor, call it what you will. But they are focused on the agenda, focused on the issue at hand, making their First Amendment statement loud, proud, clear. Totally support those people. There are two other classes of people there. There are the opportunists who know that in what is going on in that moment provides them with the opportunity for mayhem. And even the police have admitted, we don't know who's who when these things break out in a big way. Mm. But people who are breaking in, looting, et cetera, I don't consider those people to be the protesters. And so that's a second bucket. There's a third bucket that really came to the fore yesterday. And the third class of people who came to the fore yesterday, they were the, what I call the uninformed partiers, I guess. What you saw yesterday in image after image after image Once they were inside the Capitol building, you didn't see signs of protest. You didn't see people holding up, I want my vote back, or whatever. What you saw were people proudly sitting in the chair of the vice president and getting a selfie in Nancy's office, getting a selfie. People effectively just partying to their own personal agenda, walking around occasionally in what looked like ridiculous garb, making a statement that none of us could understand. uh, And I, I regard those people effectively as just being along for the ride for whatever reasons that I'll just never understand. But what they do is they diffuse the purpose, rightly or wrongly, of the original protest. And and it's unfortunately the cost of passion run amok and people who just want to get out there and be notorious for the sake of being notorious without actually being behind the real cause. And on that matter, uh, and on other matters, what we've discussed today, uh, what we may discuss in the future, we we open up our email info at franklin.tv. Again, that's I-N-F-O at franklin.tv. We would all love to hear from you about topics you would like to discuss, agreements, disagreements, that we would be happy to reflect on this program so all voices will be heard because we're all focused on one thing, a more perfect union. Frank?
0: I'd like to uh, thank the panel, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Dr. Leah Linus. Uh, I wanna thank uh, Keith Palmatier for recording and our engineer. I'd like to uh, thank uh, our representative from Franklin and Medway, uh, Mr. Jeff Roy. And I'd like to thank our executive director of Franklin Cable and Radio, uh, PJ. You are listening to 102.9 FM. Uh, even though it's called the uh, uh, Franklin uh, uh, Radio, it reaches uh, towns in uh, uh, Milford, uh, uh, Menden, Hopkinton, Bellingham, Rentham, uh, Norfolk, uh, Medway, Millis. So this is a a greater uh, Franklin area program that I want to thank you for listening to. uh, And we, as a panel, look forward to our discussions in the future. Thank you all.